Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the little green pasture. Praise the Lord. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Today, I am going to just talk to you. I feel like having just a little bit of devotional fellowship with you guys today and share some things with you that are on my heart, things that I've been experiencing just over the last probably 24 to maybe 48 hours. And it delights my heart to do that because I can feel the Lord changing my heart so much lately, even more so as we see the day approaching. But before I do that, I do want to bow before the Lord and I want to give honor to him always. Father in heaven, it is with humble gratitude and supreme joy that I come before you. Lord, I pray that you will be with us, with all people that will ever hear this message. Let your words be in my mouth. Speak to your own people by your own spirit. And Lord, I pray that you will melt hearts. That you will speak to your own people. That you open up their ears. That Lord, you will lead me by your spirit. Because I will be listening. Just as you said, I do not speak of myself. As I hear my father, that is what I speak. And so, Lord, as I hear, I'll speak. Thank you, Lord, that I am weak and the words come out sometimes. <laughs> so human, but I'm so thankful for it because it just makes me one of the least of your least. But praise the Lord. I love you, Lord. So now I commend this word to you and your word to me. And the Lord, that you commend your word towards others now that are thirsty for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I'm just going to start. I'm going to try to combine a couple of things that have been happening, but like I said, this is just a talk and I've given up trying to be perfect. It seems like the more I try to be perfect, the worse I do and the less I hate trying to be perfect. <laughs> After all, isn't fellowship just something that makes everybody feel stronger to, in the Lord and, and lifted up? And I love having fellowship with my friends because they really lift me up and it's a good time okay so it all started with this horrible blizzard epic snowmageddon that's happening all over the united states it's actually happening all over the world but you know in the united states you know videos that i'm seeing personal videos people are making reports coming in from emergency management services and so forth. You know, I was looking at all these things and I was just 
I was just, in, I don't know if I want to say the word awe, but just, yeah, I guess I was in awe, like, Lord, look at all these people, millions of people that have no way to heat their homes. They're running out of food. People are becoming desperate. People are found being found dead in snowbanks. People are being found dead in their cars. And who knows how many other people that they're going to find as the snow melts. And so I was just thinking about them all day and I felt overwhelmed. But the older I've gotten, the more I, I'm not so overwhelmed. The more I start looking this way. When I start looking up into that sky, my spirit looking up, my eyes looking up, I see something far bigger, greater, vast, expansive than anything I can see on earth. And so in the middle of the night, I woke up and I started to think about these people that were freezing. And without even what I said bypassed my mind. And I was still sleeping. I said, Lord, send heat into their homes. And I fell asleep. I woke up a couple hours later to get up and I got into the living room and I was sitting there in front of the Lord and and in the dark and I said to him, Lord, I began to remember those that were freezing. And I said, Lord, I remember now that a couple of hour, hours ago I said to you, Lord, send heat to their homes. But now I'm wide awake and I can now, I can now pray about that. And I felt to go no further. And I said to him, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you to do. There's nothing too hard for you to do. Lord, I've read your word. I've seen what you do. I've seen what you did. And it's written down for us to believe you for now. And your word is written that we will always believe you. And what am I really believing you for? And I said, Lord, in the strength of my being awake, I said, Lord, send heat into their homes. And I felt strong and saying, that's how I'm going to do it. This is how not to be overwhelmed, not to try to figure out how God's going to answer the prayer, not to try to figure out how I'm going to approach the Lord and say it to him. But just to say, Lord, send help, send heat supernaturally. In my mind, I thought, Lord, you can do everything supernaturally because you are working in the power of your spirit. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God and unto God belongeth mercies. Psalm 62, 11 and 12. And you know, when I said those words, I paused in quiet and I heard his voice and I know I heard his voice. He said, can you be more merciful than I am merciful? And let me tell you, when I heard his voice say that to me, I felt the fear of the Lord. Not terror, like because I've sinned or anything, but that my God, his spirit and presence made me feel like I was this little amoeba. And when he said those words to me, can you be more merciful than I am merciful? And I didn't answer because it, it was 
the question answers itself. But it lent itself more to me to start thinking more about believing God. And I'm just going to just, this is my personal thing. Like I said, I'm just talking to you. And I'm glad to share it with you. Sometimes things are personal. We're not to share with each other. Sometimes there's things that are personal meant to be shared with others. And I gave this a lot of thought. And I feel freedom to speak about it. And to tell you what he said to me. And what I was receiving from the Holy Spirit today. Because he's alive inside of me. And I'm listening to him. And as I sat there, I began to, I, I turned the light on. I, I got my Bible. I opened it up on my lap. And I kept thinking of what he said. Can you be more merciful than I am merciful? And I, I said to myself, to the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, you are God. It is nothing for you. To send heat into the homes of people, even to the people who don't even know you, because you're kind to the to those that don't know you. You're 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 kind to those that are even evil. You show your goodness even to them. And I said, Lord, I started to think. I I was saying to even just to my own self. I said, God can do this to people in every home. And not to just pick out and choose and decide what number of homes God can send his heat into. He made the light of the sun. He made the heat of the sun. He created a universe. He created you and me. He created everything that's around us. We breathe his air. We walk in these bodies he created. And I started to feel like God was challenging me. Not challenging me in a way like... I mean, it was just, it was a loving challenge. It was an encouraging challenge. It's a follow me challenge. That I thought, Lord, that it would be in such a way that people who don't even know you say, we don't understand it. All of a sudden, our house felt warm. We don't know why. We don't know why. But all of a sudden, our house was warm. And so I believe that what Jesus was saying to me was all-encompassing, overarching, undertaking of his care and provision for everybody. You notice in the Bible how every book of the Bible or different chapters of the Bible always deal with one person not groups. He calls for one person whose heart is faithful towards him. You know, I want to say this before I go any further. I'm speaking to you young ones, you little ones who are early in the Lord, who've just started out walking and you're just learning the Bible and you're just finding out who Jesus is and what he's about. And, and who he is really. And you older ones I speak to. Who have are full of age. And have exercised yourselves. In the strong meat of the word. Because we are all the children of God. By faith in Christ Jesus. And 
as I went on, I started thinking about, I started praying more about things and people and something else I want to just bring to you. Have you ever done this? Have you ever started praying for this person? Then it leads to praying for another person. And next thing you know, you're praying for another person. All of a sudden you come to a halt because something comes to your mind of someone that was maybe mean to you a week ago. Or that left a terrible impression on you years ago. And at, to be faithful, you go, okay, I'll pray for that person, but your heart is not in it. You know, I've been dealing with that for the last year. There's There's been a couple of different people that have come into my mind and I say, I'm going to overwhelm, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for that person. And then I would confess to God, I don't even feel like that was a prayer. I did it, I think, more for myself to prove something to my own self. But God, instead, shouldn't I be asking you to give me a heart that will pray, believing you? Because prayer is believing. How many prayers go unanswered? Because really, we're so stumbling on the stumbling stone. Um, we're, we're, our prayers are stumbling. We're just, we're stumbling over the place. You know why? Because there's something between us and God. It's called ourself. Samuel said in the word, he said, God forbid that I should sin against God and not pray for you. Now, I'm not saying I'm in sin because I'm not praying for somebody that desperately hurt my feelings years ago, left a dent in my heart, left an impression on my mind. You know, I think to myself, well, maybe God left that dent in your heart, Joni, and left that impression in my mind, but not so that you pray out of, well, I'm going to do to prove myself to God. Let, let me let me say this to you as a as an older sister in the Lord, and there's many of you that are older than me. God is not asking you or me to prove anything to him or to ourself. That's pride. God knows what to do in your life and in mine. He knows how to soften your heart. He knows how to break your heart. He knows how to shatter your heart. And if he does break my heart because good will flow from out of it, then let him break my heart. Let him break your heart. I, I'm, I'm just, see, I love this talk today because I thought I don't want to be stuck in chapters and this and that. Today, I just want to talk to you. Yesterday, I was looking at something and I saw a story of a woman and as I was scrolling, um, she had a very terrible, like a very kind of scary countenance. Um, and her name was Mary Ann Bevan. And so I'm on Instagram. And so I saw her and it said, uh, it said a few words under her name. And so I kept scrolling and I go, wait a minute, I want to look again. And she was so hard to look at. Now, Please understand, I'm not that kind of person. I don't look at anybody, what weight they are, how they look, and say, oh, how ugly, oh, how pretty. I look at the soul, just like Jesus said, just like, well, Jesus did say it. He is God. He told Samuel when Samuel went to Jesse's house to go pick 
who would succeed King, King Saul. When Jesse's oldest son came out, Eliab, Samuel said within himself, this must be him, because obviously any brother of Saul's was probably tall, just like Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the people, very strong looking, handsome. And so he was looking and he said, this is, this must be him. But God spoke to him immediately and said, no, it's not him. For God does not look at the outward appearance of man. For God sees the heart. And that's myself. And I've exercised myself this way. So as I speak about Mary Ann Bevan, and I have to describe how she looks, please understand I'm doing it with absolute respect to her memory and, and loving memory to her. So I wanted to read more about her. And uh, so she was, I'm going to read a little bit. It says, at the age of 29 in 1903, Mary Ann Webster married a handsome young man married, named Thomas Bevan. Upon her marriage, she came to be known as Mary Ann Bevan and had four children with Thomas. She paid a heavy price for motherhood as she was sent struck with one illness after another, migraines, muscle pains, deteriorating eyesight, and various other problems began to torment her as Mary Ann's health began to deteriorate. Bad luck followed her persistently through the, through the years, and 11 years after her marriage, her husband passed away and left her as a widow with four young children to fend for. Worse still, her husband left her with almost no money to cater to her and her children's basic needs. However, Mary Ann Bevan rose to the occasion and strove to do anything possible to keep her children well-fed and support them through life. This, and then, so my other note says, this was the onset of a rare disease called acromegaly. She had forsaken her personal dignity to fulfill the needs of her children. When I read about this woman, what happened was, I mean, and I'm going to put a link at the bottom. And I was watching, I, I read Wikipedia on her. I read articles on her. I watched a couple of videos on her. And she became, she was working at a nurse at the time. But this Acro, I, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, acromegaly. It's a pituitary gland. It's like having a tumor on your pituitary gland. So all of a sudden, um, she was, her, her bones were growing and her face like tripled in size and she looked like a man. And so she tried to hang on to her job at her as a nurse, but because of the way she looked, she was making people uncomfortable and she wound up leaving. And so she did whatever she could to keep trying to find work to feed her children. And after a while, nobody was hiring her anymore. And so one day she saw in the newspaper a contest called the Ugliest Woman Contest. So she went and entered into that contest and won the Ugliest Woman Contest. And she was given a large sum of money. So afterwards, her picture started being spread around everywhere. And then she was hired on by the Barnum and Bailey Circus. So she left Europe, England, 
and came here and she toured with them for the rest of their life in a freak show with Siamese twins and uh, bearded ladies and that, you know, all those people that God bless them were born with abnormalities and suffered too, I'm sure. And they dressed her in ridiculous clothing. So it emphasized her ugliness. And so she became one of the top sideshow exhibitions. And, but she made a lot of money doing it. And so I pictured this woman. And I t I'm telling you, wait till you see. I'm going to send, like I said, the link. Wait till you see how beautiful she was and what happened to her. But here is this woman saying, I'll do whatever it takes. A surrendered life. No, she wasn't a Christian. I searched high and low. I had my friend help me. There was no, nowhere that said she was a Christian. I tried everything, everywhere, different search engines, everything. I want to say that before I go further. But I looked at her as a surrendered life. This woman that everybody called the ugliest woman in the world. Imagine her sitting in a tent, going from town to town, night after night, people after people, faces looking at her, things that she had to hear every day of her life, the most horrible things being said so she can feed her children. And at last, Mary Ann Bevan succumbed to her disease. And at the age of 59, she died in 1933. And she wanted to be buried. Her last words were, I just want to be, go home and be buried back in England. And I said to my son, that, that just moved me yesterday. And so this morning I was thinking about her and in prayer and, you know, and reading my Bible. It's, it's very active for me. <clears throat> it's very active. I'm back. <laughs> I started coughing. <laughs> Anyways, that's why my eyes are watering. <laughs> okay, back to what I was saying. It's very active when I read my Bible and pray. Um, it's not like I just pray and then I read my Bible because when I read my Bible, I always tell the Lord after I pray, I'm going to read my Bible now. And even though I say amen to you, um, the door is still open in my heart of prayer to you. And he knows I'm listening because I'm reading my Bible, but I'm listening to him. And so I'm talking to him even still while I'm reading his word. And so I started to think more about Mary Ann Bevan. And I said, Lord, in, her, in my heart, I said, there's nowhere that I could see that she was a believer. And I know that she was even drinking at the end of her life. I said, she was a tortured soul. But is that not a surrendered life? Is that not the power of love? Look at what happened to her. <clears throat> she could have hit out. She could have farmed her kids out. She could have buried herself somewhere, probably earlier in alcohol. But this woman laid her life down to feed her children. You know, there's something in me that says, I said to the Lord, I, I, I stopped researching. And I said, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to look anymore. Somehow or another, I want to believe that in your great mercy, that you threw the gates of splendor, as Elizabeth Elliot calls it, that you threw the gates of splendor open to that woman 
And perhaps maybe the way you stood up for Stephen the martyr when they were stoning him to death, when he looked up and he said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. I Something in me said, Lord, I want to believe that for people like Mary Ann Bevan, you stood up when she walked in. That you stood up at the time of her death. And maybe nothing was said about her being a Christian or having faith in God because she had nobody. She was lonely. There was no, no, uh, nothing written that she had close friends. She had no family members. She was alone as the ugliest woman in the world. And I said, Lord, that's the most beautiful woman in the world. And in glory, she's in beauty and her perfect glorified self. And she did forsake her personal dignity to fulfill the needs of her children. And I think to myself, you know, the Lord wants us to have dignity. But sometimes I think that when we have dignity, we hold on to something of ourselves and not give ourselves away because we think someone's watching. We think someone's going to sneer at us or back, backstab us or mock us. And so we hang on to a kind of dignity that we have of ourselves, where we say, yeah, but if I do that, um, people at my church will start looking funny at me or people in my family will start asking me or speaking to me or saying stuff to me like, what's wrong with you? You're acting bizarre and weird. Stop it. That brings me to another story. <clears throat> Short. I was been listening, you know, I listen to uh, Elizabeth Elliot all the time and she always speaks about John and Betty Stam and and I know that they were missionaries to China. And so I wanted to read a little bit more about them. And, and it was this missionary couple. And, but I wanted to read more about Betty. And uh, so I read about her and probably going to wind up reading their book. But what I understand about them is they were from the United States. They met at Moody College. <clears throat> she had a call on her life um, to be a missionary to China. And she said some pretty awesome stuff in her, you know, she said some, some awesome things. I mean, there's, there's a prayer that she prayed and I don't have it in front of me. Um, I just, like I said, I don't want to be a, reading a bunch of stuff, but you know, she basically said, uh, I surrender my whole life to you. You know, what is my life? I want to live for you. I'm paraphrasing what she said, have your way with me. I lay my life down and she and the Lord and that's when she met John Stam, and finally they got married. They go to China, and it says Betty was 28 years old when she was killed. When she wrote the words of her well-known prayer, work out thy whole will in my life at any cost. She had no way of knowing what full surrender would cost her, although some might consider the cost exorbitant. You know, Betty laid down her life for, for Christ, and I think... I would say right now, if she could speak to you, she would say the cost wasn't too high. She relinquished all that she had and into Christ's hands for his keeping. And, you know, we talk so much, don't we, about, oh, Lord, I want to live my life for you. I want to I want to surrender my life to you. But you know what? We die along the way and we give up along the way. And, you know, I thought about even, um, well, before I want to go into him. The story with John and uh, John and Elizabeth Stam is 
her baby, she had a three month old baby. They were in communist China. Um, they were in a certain area where they were told the man who lived there said, no, you're safe here. Nothing's going to happen to you. But the Red Army was coming closer and closer until it came into the village. And one day they came in to the house and Betty gave them tea and they said, we're taking John. And they took her husband and hand, you know, that handcuffed him. They tied him deep rope ties around his hands. And a while later, they came back for her and she hid the baby. I know I think she took the baby. But anyways, I'll leave the story underneath. I don't want to get into the details. Long story short, she did hide the baby. But they took her and that's right. They took her and him. And it was a 12 mile march, but they put her on a mule because she was had a baby. And when they got to the place where they were to be the destination there was something i read where they had to speak to a man asking what what are you okay you're here and they were talking and the man asked him what are you doing here and he said we're going to heaven because john stam knew they were going to go to heaven and then at some point she hid the baby and then after she hid the baby those men <clears throat> from the Red Army came and took both of them, stripped them down into their undergarments, marched them out in front of all the people. And a man tried to stop them saying, don't do this, don't do this. And the man was killed because he tried to prevent that death. But at some point, the men said, kneel down, and they both kneeled down. And a person, it was recorded that a person said I was that who was there and was watching everything happen said while they were kneeling down, nobody could hear what was being said, but John was saying a few words. No, she, John was saying a few words to Betty as if to strengthen her. And she was saying a few words back to him as if to strengthen him. And as he was speaking to her, in the few words the sword came down and took off his head and she, then the same came to her and she fell on top of his body and she was 28 years old when she was killed and somebody found the, the you know there was a believer a man who found his body there took their bodies and sewed their heads back on and put them in uh, caskets and somebody else who had opened the casket said I looked in and I saw the face of John Stam and he had a actually his mouth had a small smile on his face and a look of peace and as if while they were getting ready to die he was transitioning he was seeing something glorious and when they looked at her she did have a look of kind of a fright like she, you know your face freezes when you die that she had a look of peace but a little bit of like you could tell like there was like her muscles in her face showed there was fright but you know what many years later a small group of believers found john and betty's bodies that were buried on a hillside and betty betty's gravestone read for me to live as christ 
and to die is gain. Be faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. You know, God's plan for your life and mine will not look like, not exactly look like Betty and John's, but as followers of Christ, like Betty, we're called to give up our own plans and embrace his will, whatever that may be. And God may be asking you to be faithful, maybe to a hard to handle husband, to caring for little children, to being in a difficult situation. But God's will and plan for you, if you are surrendered, you surrender everything to him and you give it all up to him. He's going to take care of the rest. One last thing I was thinking about John Merrick, who is referred to as the elephant man who had a horrible disease and um, he died at age 27, a year younger than uh, Elizabeth Stam. And you know what? That man was a devout Christian and he loved the Lord. And he didn't get a proper burial, but he's in heaven today. And you know what? He held on to Christ. That is what gave John Merrick, which I refuse to call him the elephant man. That's what gave him power to live in a ruthless world. That's what I believe because I'm going to believe it. Something in me wants to say, no, I believe Mary Ann Bevan. She had nobody, but I believe Christ made himself known to her. There's something in my heart, not just because I want to believe something. Where is it written, Joan? It's not recorded. Not everything is going to be recorded. But I trust the living God. I trust in his love and I believe him. Do you believe God? Do you believe? Because you know what the Lord said to me today? I heard him say to me because of the Lord sent heat into all the houses. You don't think I can send heat into all those houses? I owe the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the earth is mine. The earth is the Lord's. And then I felt, and then as I sat there, the Lord said to me, because I feel like the Lord is moving me into a new place that's coming because of what's coming on this earth, because we are the last generation that is going to see Christ come. I know it. I can't prove it. I can't point my finger. I'm not date setting. I'm not doing any of that. But I believe with all my heart, the Lord said this to me. How long are you going to read my word and not believe everything in it? And I, I know it was him. And I said, Lord. I said, I am going to believe you. You know, it says the words of the Lord are pure as sil silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You know what it comes down to? Belief. Do you believe the word of God? You know, I was thinking, and today I was reading about the man with the infirmity for 38 years in the book of John. And Jesus came to him because he was lay, laying next to this pool of water. And all the people that were crippled and lame lay around the water. And an angel at a certain season 
uh, touched the water and whoever came into the water first was made whole. And so every time the angel touched the water, somebody else went ahead of him. And so Jesus came to him knowing he had been a long time in that case. And he said, will thou be made whole? And he said, how can I? I have no man to help me. Every time the waters, angel touches the water, someone goes in ahead of me. And Jesus said, take, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Well, you know, that man was not a believer in Christ. He went on to actually turn on the Lord right after that and told on him when the Pharisee said, what are you doing walking on the Sabbath day? He said, oh, someone, a man made me whole. Who is it that we may know who he is? He said, his name is Jesus. But see, the Lord is good and he's always going to be good. And no one's going to do any, no one's going to change what God is. You know what? The Lord Jesus Christ is our life. Christ is your life. He's my life. And when he saw that man, he came in his full being as a man, God in the body, God in the flesh. And he said, arise, take up thy bed and go home, walk. Well, you know what that man did with the Lord said? He just did what the Lord said. It doesn't say he felt any tingling in his legs. He didn't feel a, some power come upon him. He just stood up and did it. And so did the man at the gate. Beautiful. And so were a lot of things where they just did it. I mean, you pick each one. You know what? They just did it. Whatever he said, he did it. His own mother said to the people at the Cana, to the servants in the Cana of Galilee, when Jesus said, um, woman, what have I to do with thee? After she said, their people have run out of wine. But she turns and says to them, whatever he says unto you, do it. John 2, 5. That word is for you. That word is for me. And let me say one more thing since I'm just talking and letting things flow. What I was thinking about, I was speaking openly to the Lord. And I said to him, yes, Lord. I said, I'm going to forsake unbelief. And I do confess to you, there's times I decide how you're going to do things or I pray a certain way that I'm not believing you fully. I'm not believing you for your full word. And I'm going to believe you, Lord, flat out, believe the Lord and trust in him. You know, so many times we say, uh, well, God says no. Sometimes God says yes and God says no. You know what I say? God doesn't say no. God says, trust me. Trust me. God wants you to trust him because there's so many things I asked God to do for me in my life and I was upset that he didn't do it and it was so perfect. I had the perfect solution. God, you can do this. If you do it right now, then it'll make a way for me to do this and go over here and, and take care of that. And it didn't happen. I had to go the way he wanted me to go. And looking back, I praise, I bow. I don't just bow before him. I bow flat before him and I kiss his hand. And you know what? This morning, back to what I was saying, I, as I was speaking openly to him, I was saying, Lord, I'm not going to just believe you for what I think or how you should do it. And you know what? It was such a slight shining on me because all this time I've been praying and the Lord is showing me how to believe. 
He's showing me how to believe. He wants you to believe. And he, right then I heard the enemy immediately counter it. And I heard the enemy say to me, you better be careful that you don't share that with anybody. Because people are going to think that you're into that new apostolic reformation movement, the name it and claim it. You're going to get a bad name for yourself. You better be careful because remember, God's sovereign. You can't say what God's going to do. And the enemies came against me hard and fast. And then I knew, then I knew that believing God for his every single word and not deviating from it and believe it and doing what he says, leaving all the consequences up to him. That is what Satan fears the most. And let me further say this. Before I rose up from devotions, I thought about the two witnesses. And they will be revealed in their time up the road shortly. But I believe they came into my mind because we're looking at two men who will be alive during a certain time. And they're going to be surrounded by the wickedness of all humanity. And the, all humanity is going to give gifts and celebrate their deaths. But the power was given unto them for a specific, will be given to them for a specific reason. And that's for them. And that's, they're unique. They stand alone. But I thought about them in terms like this. What about you and me? What are, what are we going to finally do? Are we going to, are we, maybe I shouldn't say we, maybe I'll just say I, I'll be careful. Am I just going to read his Bible every day? And then just go on. There's something stirring in me. God is moving where I he's saying, do you believe me? You see, most people want God to, in a way, like to hand them a piece of paper so they could read through the fine print. And then they sign the full surrender or like the glad surrender, the glad surrender that Elizabeth Elliot speaks about. Can we trust God to sign on that dotted line and make a glad surrender to Jesus Christ? Because let me say this, everywhere in the Bible that I ever read and every testimony I've ever read after through the centuries where people have relinquished their self, relinquished what they think, relinquished how it might look, where they just said, I'm believing him at his word. I'm believing what he said right here. And how he's going to do it is up to him. And we let it go. We just let him go. We let him do what he wants to do. He is the Lord. And, you know, I want to say one more thing. In this year that we're going into, it's going to be pretty bad. According to all the things I'm reading in good, good study and research, you're reading the same thing, too. We're going to believe the Lord, you and me. We are going to stand because if you're the only person standing in your home, amen, there's one person standing and believing for everybody. You see, God always responds to believing. What you believe him for, he will do and he'll do it his way. Just get out of his way. Just bow. You know, Jesus said to me today, can you be more merciful than I am merciful? And another time, five or six years ago, my husband and I were driving in the back bay of Newport Beach, and it was such a beautiful day. 
and I was looking at the water and the cranes and and birds and see you know reeds in the back bay waters of the ocean and the sun was shining and it was sparkling on the water and the current and and I was saying to the Lord in my heart Lord I love you I love you so much Lord look what you've done I love you I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit filling my temple with glory I felt the whole car and his presence and as I was saying to him Lord I love you because his presence was increasing and I heard him say to me can you love me more than I love you and so today I want to tell you God wants you to believe him that's all to believe on him is to do the work of God to believe on him whom he hath sent the son of God Jesus Christ God will respond to your belief Praise the Lord. For me to live is Christ and to die is only to gain. Be thou faithful unto death and he shall give thee the crown of life. Be faithful and believe. <laughs>